Tighten those laces, straighten that headband. It is time for CHGO Marathon, a podcast about the culture, community, and challenge that surrounds the world's fourth largest marathon. CHGO Marathon is brought to you by Goose Island, the official beer of CHGO Sports, and the beer you'll be drinking when you cross that finish line on October 8th. Find one of their Chicago locations when you get here at gooseisland.com forward slash locations. What's up, everyone? We are 26 days away from the 2023 Chicago Marathon. I am Kevin Kaduk, head of content here at CHGO and a 2023 entrant into the Chicago Marathon. Been having a lot of fun doing this podcast. Uh, I recommend you go check out some of the past podcasts if this is your first time. We've had a lot of interesting guests from race director Kerry Pinkowski to former Chicago Cubs pitcher Ryan Dempster. And today we have uh, another interesting guest, and I've been looking forward to, to talking with him for a long time. Uh, his name is Andrew Swatso, and he was a professor at DePaul for 33 years. He is the author of The Chicago Marathon, one of the uh, definitive works of uh, the Chicago Marathon history, published by University of Illinois Press in 2006. Uh, more importantly, he is also going to be racing on October 8th in Chicago. Uh, he is 77 years old. He'll be one of the older runners um, in, in the 47,000-person field, but he'll also probably be f- a little bit faster than me. So looking forward to talking with Andrew. Andrew, you're joining us from California. How are you doing today? I'm fine. Uh, I'm enjoying the California weather and looking forward to our interview. Yeah, so you've been, uh, you were a longtime Chicagoan, you taught at DePaul, and among the things you taught were, you taught a lot of different things, but one of the things you did teach was a course on uh, the Chicago Marathon, because you were really interested in, in just kind of the structure and the history and how the Chicago Marathon became the Chicago Marathon. And we're going to get into that a little bit later, but, um, and that's why I originally reached out to you, because I, I wanted to talk to you about the history side, but then when we were emailing, you also mentioned that, hey, you're going to be racing in uh, the Chicago Marathon for your fifth time, I think you said, and you're coming off of a great 2022 in which you won your age group in the Los Angeles, Tucson, and New York Marathons. So first off, congratulations on that, and, um, and now you're coming back for more in, in Chicago. So how is your training going? My training's fine. Uh, it's uh, on schedule. Uh, mm-hmm. I would like to be running a little faster. I think Chicago is going to be super competitive, and I'm not expecting uh, the same results as I had last year, but I'll just be happy to be part of the race. Yeah, so you've mentioned that when we've kind of talked before that it is going to be a competitive field. Um, I think you said uh, the, 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 like the, the big runner Gene Dykes is here, so that's kind of like one yes. of your big – you're big competitors, but uh, is there something that uh, about the Chicago Marathon course that attracts more runners in your age group than than other marathons? Well, this year it's the premier race of the uh, World Marathon Abbott World Marathon Majors, and so for that reason, uh, you're going to have not just 
professional competition that's at the highest level, but you're going to have really the fastest people in the in their age groups from 40 years up in the Abbott competition. There are uh, slices of five-year age groups, so that goes all the way up to 80 plus. So uh, that's going to draw a lot of exceptional people. And as you mentioned, Gene Dykes, who is I think the fastest man in the world in that age group, and so much faster than anybody else, uh, is illustrative of the kind of appeal that uh, the marathon has. Uh, also, you know, uh, Chicago is a wonderful place for a PR. Uh, and and uh, I'm looking forward to finally running a flat race since I've uh, returned to marathon running as of last year. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a wonderful course. So it, that also attracts people all the time. Do you have a target time in mind? Yes. Once upon a time, I'd be aiming at a sub three. Now I'm aiming at a sub four. How, okay. how we do. <laughs> I'll be very happy with 359. So. I, I love that. So yeah, I think in Tucson and LA, you were kind of right around like 402, 404. Yeah, so. 404. I would, uh, no, LA was terrible. I don't know how I Oh, Tucson and <laughs> New York. Yeah. It was New York. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I'm just hoping I have no cramps this time. If I don't, I'll, I probably won't have any trouble with, with that goal. We'll see. Yeah. So I, I want to get into a little bit about your running history. And I know that uh, front runners plays a plays a part in that. But can you can you tell me just a little bit more kind of about, you know, what it's like to train in your 70s? Uh, again, you're 77 years old. Um, mm -hmm. You really got into competitive racing as as younger man, although you were 50. Um, what is it like now? Like what what's different than maybe 10, 20, 25 years ago? Uh I lay off of the speed work in general because I seem to have a great facility for injuring myself when I do that. Uh, I, other than that, uh, especially for marathons, I don't find that there's that much difference. Uh, the yeah. mileage is still, my mileage is a bit lower. Like now I'll do only say 45 or 46 miles a week when there was a time when I approached 60 or even 70 when I was uh, in my early 50s when I was really into it. Mm -hmm. And you, I, but, I, yeah, there was time where you thought maybe at when you hit 75, that you, you know, would maybe just do half marathons or, or 10Ks, but you you, um, you kind of just wanted to keep going, I guess. Well, I, actually, in my early 50s, I, 60s, excuse me, I stopped running marathons because I was getting injured all the time. And mm. I took off for 10 years and I just ran the L.A. Marathon uh, out of curiosity because I had, had run two very good uh, half marathons shortly before that. And I, uh, I had a very disappointing time. Uh, I had to walk a good deal of the race because of, uh, cramping, but, uh, to my astonishment, I won my age group and I, I won within hours lead on the runner up. So I thought, wow. Hmm, maybe I should reconsider. And that's what brought me back to running. I don't know how long this will last. I thought I'd yeah. stop running entirely at 75, but there doesn't seem to be a closure at the moment. Yeah. I mean, when you talk with your doctor, I mean, what, what does he or she say? Well, since I've been moving a lot, I have different doctors. My doctor in San Diego, I think, enjoyed the fact that I was a runner. He would check my times and that this was before I went back to marathons. And my current doctor feels that marathons are 
unhealthy, but that I enjoy doing them and I should do so. Um, right. And I'm I'm not sure about the health or or, or harmfulness, uh, healthfulness or harmfulness of marathons, but uh, it's mm. just something I like to do. So I continue. As long as you enjoy doing it, I mean, that, yeah. to me, that seems like a great great thing. Um, Again, you kind of got a late start on on marathon, you know, like mm-hmm. you, you started when you were like, what fifty? Can you kind of take Just us through before, that? Yeah, actually, I'd run in high school, and I was a fairly good runner then. But uh, in those days, uh, nobody really thought much of continuing running. It was something you did in high school track or maybe college. So I uh, went back to running by accident in my fifties at forty nine because. I had lost a lot of weight. I'd gotten quite chubby at one point, and I was regaining it while I was at a seminar in Paris. We were eating far too well, and I <laughs> declared a state of emergency, and I started running in parks, and that enabled me not to gain the weight back again. And when I came home, a friend said, oh, you should come and run with us, come to Front Runners, etc." And mm. I, I said, I don't want to do that. There's going to be all these young runners and I'll be eating their dust and I'll just make a fool of myself. And he said, oh, come on. And so I ran with the group and I noticed that I was probably in the top third of the people who were running. And I thought, yeah, you can continue. And I just uh, got more and more interested. Then a few weeks later, I ran the Motorola Half did okay at 132 or something Mm -hmm. and then I decided I wanted to run Chicago before I turned 50 and against very good advice not to do so I did and uh, I got through it and I qualified for Boston on my first try without training at all properly so I broke all the rules and everything worked out so uh, from then on I was sort of hooked on running and marathon running too so yeah that, that's just crazy to me I think you told me that you ran a 321 on your first marathon with not mm-hmm. a lot of training not a you know you hadn't been doing it for a long time is it just something about kind of your will or, or disposition that that you were wired to do that I think, you know, we're, we have certain abilities that come, uh, that aren't earned. We're, we're, uh, we're just born that way. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, I, I'm pretty, I have pretty strong will and I can persevere a lot. And I was just curious. Uh, I had mm. only run seven miles as my longest distance before running the Chicago marathon. And I thought, uh, I used to run it almost every day, but I thought, the only way to uh, to face this enormously uh, this incredibly long race would be to divide it into portions of seven miles, and if I got to mile twenty one, I'd get through the rest, and that's what happened. So, uh, but I was very nervous when I did it. I, I was uh, terrified of hitting the wall, and uh, which didn't happen. Uh, yeah. I asked somebody about mile twenty. I said aren't we supposed to hit the wall? And <laughs> this person said to me, if you haven't experienced it, it doesn't exist. And I said, I liked that response. And I just went on to the end. Well, of as, as a first timer myself, I really hope that wall doesn't exist. Um, I'm probably sure that it will, but hopefully I can maybe power through it. So um, yeah. we'll see. I bet you will. Yeah. Just, just keep going and ignore it and if, slow down if you need to, but, uh, you'll, you'll finish. Uh, well, I'll remember this conversation and I'll say, Andrew said there's, there's no wall, so it doesn't exist. So, um, maybe we'll see each other out there too, which I think would be cool. That's I, quite possible. Again, uh, I think you're going to be a little bit faster than me. So we'll see. Well, I just have to find you out of about 47,000 people. So that it's, yeah, it's yeah. Small. 
in itself, yeah. That'll be interesting. Uh, so you were actually inducted into the Chicago Area Runners Hall of Fame in uh, 2015. And you've also been active uh, with Front Runners, uh, which is one of the premier um, LGBTQ runner slash walkers groups. Um, right. What about like how did you get involved with that, and and what about like, how much has that added to your running experience? Well, both Kara and Front Runners have added a great deal to my running experience. Kara, of course, was restricted to Chicago, but it it put me in contact with. Very much larger running community. Mm -hmm. I met so many people who were interesting human beings and fabulous runners. Uh, the men who were my competitors in whatever age group I happened to be at the time were usually good friends. So it was a very friendly competition and it was a wonderful way of connecting with the very large runner community that exists in Chicago. Mm -hmm. For front runners, I uh, got started with them and because there are chapters all over the United States and uh, much throughout most, much of Western Europe and in Australia, it's a very easy way to do running, traveling and connect with people uh, who are running and who have other connections to you. So I've always found that a, a wonderful social network. And in general, uh, uh, it, it stimulates my running because they're really strong runners and I try to emulate them or keep up with them. In many cases, the older I get, the further behind I find myself. But mm -hmm. uh, it just uh, provided an enormous social network of very well-educated, very thoughtful, very kind people. Uh, and uh, it just added a tremendous uh, positive dimension to my life. Uh, yeah. When I'd be in Paris, friends would ask me, how do you know so many people? And I knew a lot from work because uh, that was my, my field was French. But I also mm. uh, sort of doubled my social network just by running with the Paris front runners. So um, I've benefited enormously from both running groups. And I think most people who run in any kind of club, uh, like road runners, et cetera, would probably have a very similar experience. Sure. So front runners has had a, a very big presence with the Chicago marathon, you know, for yes. years, you know, they've just had such a great, great, um, you know, aid station. Mm -hmm. What's uh, like, what, what, like from your viewpoint, like what, what have they added to um, just the kind of general culture of, of the Chicago marathon? Well, a great deal of fun and humor. They used to win all the prizes. I don't think they give prizes in the marathon anymore for aid stations, but yeah. uh, you uh, really uh, have a chance to see, you know, the the uh, the drag dancers and that, which a lot of people stop and enjoy or laugh at. Even Dina Castor apparently cracked a smile when she went past <laughs> their aid station uh, a, uh, some years ago. Uh, the uh, I think it's just a, a kind of uh, very, very reliable, very well organized, and very entertaining aid station is what I would mm. say about it. So they've always been a linchpin there. And of course, one of their former presidents is all, uh, David Reithofer, uh, is the uh, coordinator, or at least I forget his official title, but he organizes all the volunteers, or at least he did at one point up through the entire marathon. So if you would, there's a, a personal contribution, uh, a commitment from that club to the marathon that's very, very strong and very old at this point. I, I think you actually wrote in, in the Chicago Marathon that the aid station came so early in the race that a lot of the drag performers were able to, to then come down to the finish line in a 
um, a popular attraction would be then the finishers would then get to take pictures with with people you know as as they came in so yes i have to admit that uh, yeah a, a lot of people enjoy that i my own attitude is probably not typical uh i run past uh, aid stations and pay minimal attention because i'm in a hurry <laughs> to get to the end but for those people who are doing a more leisurely marathon they have the option of you know seeing all these wonderful uh displays there's the front runners but there's also uh, that uh the elvis display from yeah. fleet and uh, things like uh, groups like uh, the Chinatown, the Dragons, and all the rest. So it actually is quite a visual spectacle for anybody who is not too concerned on time and who can slow down to watch. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, but I'm, uh, there's a little like part of me that says, like, am I going to be overstimulated just from from all of it? And some people have asked me, am I going to, you know, what does my i you know iPhone playlist look like? Am I going to be listening to music? And I know it's a long race, and at some point I may pop my headphones in, but for some of it, I just kind of think I just want to take it all in. So I'm, I'm looking forward to those those aid stations. Um, but of course, again, like you said, you want to be able to get through them, and I think we all kind of know, like you you don't want to like go to the first person at the table. You kind of want to go around the pack and get those people who are still handing out the stuff at, at the other side of it. So it's a lot uh, wiser and it will make some volunteers very happy who are standing there with their glasses of whatever it is, Gatorade or water and, yeah. and mist. Uh, and so that, that could be frustrating for them. Uh, I think that uh, it, a lot depends on what kind of personality you have. Uh, mm. I actually am pretty much a cocooned runner, so I don't really, I'm in my little space, and uh, actually, I don't like a lot of noise. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if the Chicago Marathon's for you then, I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, any urban marathon requires noise tolerance, so I just, and I, at times I draw energy from the crowd, but sometimes I just want peace and quiet. Uh, when I was running in New York and I went over the one bridge, I forget the name, which one it is. It's not besides the Verrazano Narrows. That's very high. It's mm -hmm. midway through the race. There were no people on it. And I enjoyed the silence for a while. Then, then I went back to the noise and that was fine. Uh, right. And uh, the, of course, the finish is very exciting with thousands of people cheering. And, and you finally see the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the jumbotron with uh, telling you what your time is and uh, all of that. So, yeah. That's that's uh, yeah. I'm excited to to see all that. What um, when was the last time you ran the Chicago Marathon? Do you remember? Uh, uh about ten or eleven years ago. Yeah. So twenty. So it must have been, uh, in the um, fairly uh, well. Let's see whatever the uh, it's 2023. So it must have been around 2010 or something. I'd okay. have to look it up. I don't have my uh, running file with me right now. So what, what, what specific to Chicago, uh, like, like, what do you love most about the Chicago marathon? I guess. The fact that it's so flat, uh, <laughs> I don't know what I love most, but also actually the setting is magnificent. I, I love the start in Grand Park uh, with all the skyscrapers and the finish too, you get that. Uh, you really have the sense of the majesty of a great city 
and uh, running up all the way to uh, Lincoln Park. The, the scenery is striking and the park itself. But I think it's, it's the start and the finish of the marathon with the setting, uh, yeah. which is, it, is so perfect. I, I, it's really hard to match that anywhere. Yeah. What, um, what advice would you give to a first-time Chicago marathoner that's, again, specific to Chicago? specific to chicago i'm not sure or just enjoy the enjoy the sights yeah i mean is there anything about the course that people should kind of you know what i mean like okay you got to watch this this part of the course or that part of the course or uh, i would say uh, i like the downtown but i like a lot uh, i mean look for the aid stations like the pilsen station with uh um, you know the uh mexican-american contribution to the race the chinese contribution it's, and all, all of the others too but some of them will be specifically very entertaining uh and i think i would say enjoy the scenery because it really is a very scenic course and uh there's just a whole lot to see and get a sense of the unit uh, of the scope of the city and it's it's variety when you're on yeah. yeah all right so let's get a little bit into the history of the chicago marathon as i mentioned okay. before at at depaul you you taught a course on it for i think five or six years yeah. And um, you were really interested in, in the structure of it. And the thing that kind of really strikes me and, and what interests me about it is like it's it's its own machine inside of this, you know, machine that is the city of Chicago, too. Right. So there's like these two and they, they kind of work in concert with each other. But um, mm -hmm. it didn't always start out that way. It started off in the late 70s. Can you kind of take us through that? There was kind of well, some murky beginnings and. There's a lot of murkiness, but uh, there are, are sort of two groups that converged or diverged, depending on whose account you're in. And there was a group at the Y with Wendell Miller, Wayne Goldner, uh, Sharon Meyer, et cetera, who were planning uh, the marathon, a marathon, I guess, in the 1976. And then there was also Lee Flaherty and his uh, and a lot of people in Flair Communications. And uh, Lee had been, I think, trained by Wendell Miller uh, for the Boston Marathon. Lee was a very very fine runner, uh, mm -hmm. and he was passionately interested in the marathon. So both of them, um, uh, both groups were either simultaneously uh, planning or planning together or planning separately uh, this marathon. Uh, the I know early on, people were surprised in, I believe it's 1977, the uh, Ravenswood 10-mile race drew something like a 1,000 people when they were only expecting two to 400 at the most, wow. maybe less than 400. So that stimulated everyone. Uh, they, uh, they thought, let's we can have a marathon. There's that much interest. And uh, depending on whom you talk to, like Dr. Neskin of the uh, Y group said that he had talked to Mayor, uh, I think Mayor Blandick, uh, no, sorry, uh, uh, Rich Daly, uh, um, well, the older one, yeah. The, the, the Daly, Mayor Daly's brother, about yeah. naming, getting naming rights to the marathon. But uh, people from, uh, I think Tony Balassa from uh, uh, Flair said that, well, um, uh, Lee had already spoken to uh, um, 
probably Ed Kelly about uh, the uh, about uh, the, the permit, etc. Uh, there's a lot of history uh, in mistaken history. I even quote. I even followed uh, an earlier account that said that Ed Kelly was opposed to the marathon, uh, but he was not. In fact, mm -hmm. uh, he was a runner himself, and somehow that. Except it's too good as there was uh, some opposition within the uh, park department, uh, but it wasn't from Ed Kelly. Uh, and uh, but it makes too good a story about him viewing the marathoners as a bunch of unwashed hippies who wanted to invade the park and not allowing them in. But that simply is not case. And the mayors from the beginning, Mayor Blandick was very much in favor of the marathon and uh, the marathon always had the support for the mayors. But in any case, uh, by uh, for 1977, there are even uh, disputes about who was actually the race director. The pamphlet says it was Wendell Miller. Uh, the Dr. Nequin uh, was the advisor. Um, uh, Sharon Meyer did the recruitment, but so did uh, people from Flair. And uh, on and on. And uh, Co Coach Bill Leach did some re uh, uh, recruitment too, in fact, a lot, I believe. So it's to me still, I would be very hesitant about assigning unique, the unique prize of creating the marathon. I think they were all very instrumental and all very right. generous with their time. And of course, Lee Flaherty's money made it happen. And that was an extraordinary contribution on his part. Uh, so he, he, he was really in there. And in a sense, I would probably call him maybe the primus into pares or the, uh, or the foremost founder among the founders of the marathon. Right. Um, and then, you know, the next year was filled with controversy because <laughs> there was a huge clash between the people's marathon runners and business interests, as it was viewed at the time. When right. in 1978 they jacked up the uh, uh, entry fee from five dollars to ten dollars, <laughs> we would all like to complain about that now. <laughs> That's crazy. So uh, obviously, like in the late 70s, it was more of a way more of a niche sport. Um, yeah. You probably had a lot of aldermen and neighborhoods saying, "Hey, you're not going to get control of our streets for this." Not as many competitors. Um, Today, it's 47,000 people. It's a gigantic economic engine. Um, all their men are happy to have, have the crowds in their neighborhoods supporting local businesses and getting people out there. How did exactly, like what, like what really kind of spurred all that along and, and when do you think that really happened? There are a whole lot of factors that were converging in the 70s to make people interested in marathons. And even the first Chicago marathon had over 4,000 runners. And I think it was the second largest marathon in North yeah. America when it started. But what I think happened was a, a big uh, sociological uh, shift. Uh, the, the marathon, you know, the whole health and fitness uh, movement, which was uh, in marathons fueled by Frank Shorter's victory in the Olympics, I guess in the 70s, the emergence of New York, which was uh, actually cultivating the upper middle class in the city. Uh, that uh, that was taking on uh, catching on in Chicago neighborhoods like Lincoln Park and that uh, there were uh, the marathons 
transitioned from what had been a very small race of professionals, because there was a Chicago Marathon way back after the first uh, Olympic Marathon in 1896, and there were wow. several in many major cities, but they disappeared because they were not really, uh, I think, attract, except for Boston, uh, they really were not attracting a mass participation. They were really professional marathons. The newer marathon that emerged appeared to uh, appeal to people, well, it appealed to women with Jane Benoit uh, Samuelson's success at the, uh, at the Olympics. Mm -hmm. It appealed to people who were getting older, approaching 40 or 50 and that who wanted to prove that they were still viable. It appealed to the urban middle class and upper middle class that wanted to sort of have a uh, an urban stage to perform on and to get the ovations of the crowd and that. And it also fit their lifestyle. It's not a surprise to me that the, uh, the, the uh, sponsors, the title sponsors, major marathons now tend to be banks because they sort of mirror the attitude of a certain upper middle class person, discipline, long range planning, realizing long range goals and that it sort of fits into a, uh, a strange, not a strange, but to, into a sociological uh, pattern. So that sort of interested people. The fact that the marathon started uh, attra uh, attracting world records in, as early as 1984, uh, you had uh, the uh, uh, the first world record there uh, with, uh, what's his name, uh, Steve Jane, Jones. Uh, and that, you know, started to contribute to things too. And of course, by the uh, by uh, 1999, you had Kanushi's second world record at Chicago, and then a year or so afterwards, uh, Dereba's uh, women's uh, world record, followed by uh, Paula Radcliffe's re uh, world record at Chicago. So um, there, there was a lot of prestige uh, accruing to the race, but mm. I think it's a change in lifestyle, a change in what people valued. The fact that the marathon became a mass event, sort of like a carnival that reunited the, that united the city. Uh, the, the marathon is two, I think, at least two separate events. It's, it was a, always a professional competition. But when it started to become a mass competition, it really was something that anybody who wanted to do it could do it. The idea of having a huge challenge, a sort of epic challenge without going to war or risking your life, etc., and realizing something very physically difficult. Uh, so all of that was feeding into the 80s and I think contributed to uh, the marathon's explosive growth now as a mass phenomenon. So uh, I had Carrie Pinkowski in here a couple of weeks ago, and we kind of talked about some of the other factors that kind of fed into the growth of the Chicago Marathon specifically. And one of them was, one, being in the middle of the country. Two is the flat course. Three is just being able to have a really big field. What about Carrie? You know, obviously, I wasn't going to ask Carrie this because it's hard to talk about yourself. Yeah. But but Carrie took over in, in the early 90s, and obviously right. he's been the lifeblood of this whole thing. How much would you assign to him? Well, um, I would say that the movement was happening in the 80s, but I think Carrie was 
tremendously influential in the revival of the marathon, in bringing Kara into the marathon because Kara was formed in reaction to the second Chicago marathon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, in essence, he was able to really bolster community participation from all the running clubs. He was skilled with in the recruitment of runners. And uh, essentially, I think probably any reasonably competent marathon director would have been able to do things with Chicago, but uh, Kerry was way beyond that. He had uh, the charisma, and he also had the know-how in selecting relatively unknown runners to come and race. Uh, he's, as a professional, former professional runner, he, he understands uh, running from the inside, but he also understands uh, the various communities that are interested in racing. And uh, so he has... A, a, He's an exceptional uh, director, uh, I think, an an extraordinarily qualified race director. So it's obviously one of the world majors and it, you know, enjoys the prestige and it's, you know, talked about in the same breath as Boston, New York, Berlin, Tokyo, London. Um, Was there any spot where maybe it could have become somewhat of a lesser big city marathon? I mean, not to say that the Los Angeles marathon is a lesser marathon, but it's not a world major. Exactly. Is is there any point where it could have been something lesser, you think? Uh, Very uh, early on uh, when uh, Beatrice withdrew its sponsorship uh, Mm. and there was a year's hiatus, they could only have a half marathon. They didn't have money. Uh, then Heilemann came in, they had money again, but it took yeah. a while to rebuild the, uh, and then of course the Heilemann scandal and, and the firing of Bob Wright, etc. who was a, a good recruiter. Uh, well, actually that was earlier, uh, with, uh, Beatrice, uh, in essence, uh, I think, uh, Chicago could have lost it in the eighties because of sponsorship issues. And then without the sponsorship because of inability, the inability to recruit really top runners. At one point, it had smaller prizes than Minnesota and wow. uh, sorry, Minneapolis and St. Louis. So the, uh, the uh, mid-80s, late-80s, uh, and into the early 90s was probably a, cras- a crisis period. And mm-hmm. it could have just lapsed into a significant but not major world marathon uh, as others like la uh, are right i I don't know why i singled out la but you know we got Uh, a claim superiority on la with something right so (laughs) well i i i wasn't too thrilled with the its course which i i found rather difficult but the um the it is a little surprising though because it's of the second largest city in North America, and yet it doesn't, it has never become a world marathon major. So I think, um, a major world marathon. So I think that that may have something to do with, well, I don't want, I don't know the race director. I don't want to say that that's the fault. I, I would say uh, it's, it's a mystery to me why it's not. Yeah. One. Has the course uh, in Chicago stayed relatively the same over the years, or has it kind of changed drastically? It's changed a bit since I started running it, and it changed. Um, it's uh, I I 
think it was always a sort of uh, buckle course. So you went through a lot of neighborhoods. It was never restricted the way New York was to Central Park. Mm-hmm. The, I think I, I talk more about tweaks to the course. Like uh, it, uh, in 1999, or maybe, uh, I believe in 1999 still, and certainly a bit earlier, you ran north when you were coming back through the park, uh, and uh, through Grand Park, and now uh, you run up the streets themselves, which is much better, because the park trails were uh, a bit narrower, as I recall, uh, not really hilly, but they had undulations and a few rises in them. Uh, so. I think that's been improved, much improved. You don't go under that tunnel uh, in McCormick Field, which I think, I may be confusing it with other races, but I think you had to go up that way too. But essentially, it's uh, the Michigan Avenue return that I think has been really the biggest improvement. Gotcha. Where do you think the Chicago, it's the 45th running this year, like where do you think the Chicago Marathon kind of goes from here? Do you think they've kind of figured out most of... I, I, I talked with Carrie. I said, well, you know, in the last 10 years, you had the two big challenges of one security after the Boston Marathon yeah. bombing. And then, of course, with the pandemic these last few years. But like what are like, are there actually any challenges you can foresee uh, for a marathon like Chicago? Well, maybe growth challenges. And yeah. uh, and of course, there's always going to be the continued competition for world records. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's even a possibility that Chicago could get two of them this coming race. So much depends on weather and yeah. the, individual, um, the individuals who could actually bring that off. We'll see. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I. I think Chicago sort of has arrived. It depends on whether we want to have a 100,000-person marathon or 50,000 or whatever, and then there'll be waves all day long. Of course, time there are time limitations and weather limitations. The, the, lo- the more people you have, the later the start for the people in the uh, later corrals and in uh, waves, and those people would have to confront more heat if it's a hot day, so that could be an issue. Um, yeah. But there are there always challenges. I, you know, as far as terrorism goes, when I was writing my book, I, that was very much on my mind, but I chose not to mention it. I, actually, the book, I think I was writing. Uh, yeah, now that I think of it, because I didn't want to bring the subject up because I didn't want anybody to be inspired. Give ideas, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, the whole, obviously... Mm-hmm. The security has added a different level, you know, to the fan, the, the fan experience, the racer experience, what what you have to go through. But uh, at, at this point, it's necessary. So, but I, yeah. I think you, I think you bring up a good point, just kind of about the size of the field. I mean, we're going to have 47,000 people in this year's race. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested to see what I've never, you know, raced in any race anywhere close to that. Um, although sometimes you run these half marathons and 10 Ks and they're crowded, but this to me is like a whole different, a whole different thing. So I'm going to be, be interested to see like what 47,000 people feels like out there. And obviously you manage it with corrals and waves, but, uh, mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting. What yeah. I, I meant to ask you, which, uh, which corral are you in? Where, where do you start off at? I think it's E of the first wave. It's whatever the last corral of the first wave is because they, they charitably put us old fogies in, uh, who've, uh, who were in uh, the world marathon majors competition into the first yeah. wave i don't think we deserve it anymore uh there are times past when i was much further up but uh not now um yeah i 
I was thinking of a different kind of challenge, but I don't know how this could be approached. And that would be a financial one because the marathon has really become, because of cost, uh, a middle class to upper middle class phenomenon. And mm. it's actually become very expensive to, uh, you know, if you want to get the world marathon majors uh, six race medal, uh, you know, you have to go to Berlin, you have to go to Tokyo, you have to right. go to London, etc. cetera. Uh, and so um, I don't know if there's any escape from the escalating core, uh, costs, but I wonder how many really extraordinary runners don't run because they're, they don't have the means to uh, compete. Course it's I, th I think that's a great that's a great point. I mean, obviously, it's the cheapest sport that you could possibly have, right? All you need are a pair of feet, um, but and that could also be one of the most expensive things, right? Like, I mean, shoes ah. cost money, gear costs money, flights cost money. So, yeah. yeah, that to me that's interesting, and and maybe that's really a, a point of inefficiency that these race directors can attack. Okay, well, you you're all competing for the same pool of runners who are known and you know these people, but can you be a little bit more efficient about finding the unknowns and maybe finding some people who could actually come in here and, and the real true talents? Maybe that's, you know, uh, a way in, I guess. Well, they do find a lot of them from Kenya and Ethiopia who right. are often poor, but I, I was thinking of a more general sweep. Uh, it's uh, it's very difficult to do. Also, the cost of staging a marathon are very very high. The, yeah. the fees that one pays are still way below the actual cost. So mm. that uh, another issue. Um, and uh, you know, it's really you can't do it without sponsors with their very very deep pockets and. I looked, I was very curious about the financing. Uh, how did LaSalle at the time determine whether it was getting its money's worth? And right. there's no way you could you could guarantee that people were uh, banking at LaSalle because of the marathon. But what they did know was that I think the cost of branding by being visible uh, was about one third to one quarter by, uh, in financing the marathon than it would be in uh, actually paying for commercials on television. So there is a definite benefit for uh, Bank of America and uh, I guess it's Tata and all the rest to, um, uh, to sponsor yeah. these marathons. Well, I do, I do like that old style beer was once the, the sponsor of the marathon. And I mean, I do love Goose Island. Goose Island is one of CHO sponsors and I'm, I'm looking forward to getting the finisher can, but it's also kind of like funny to think at one point they had gear with just, you know, you're going to run, run the Chicago marathon and then drink an old style, which is uh, a very eighties uh, experience. Yes. So. Well, I think Lisa <laughs> Weidenbach after she won and several, uh, she and the two other, the runner up in the third place or some woman were very happy. And she said, she thought they should all go home and drink a bunch of old style to uh, you know, <laughs> host the sponsor. Uh, <clears throat> of course, now alcohol is falling very much out of favor uh, to, uh, with, uh, as far as health advice goes, mm -hmm. but one never knows. I generally, I'm not much of a beer drinker, but when I finished the last 
race I finished and I was having terrible cramps. I was, I had to sit down at the finish. I couldn't, they wanted to drag me away. But I noticed I was sitting next to a keg of beer. Uh, the sponsor, I forget uh, whose beer it was. I think it was Goose Island. So I thought, I need an anesthetic. So I, yeah. I gave myself a glass of beer and that seemed to help, but that might have been my imagination. But I, I drank it very slowly as I hobbled away from the I, I, was, I, was, I was hoping you were going to say you did a keg stand after the marathon, which would have been really <laughs> impressive. But <laughs> no. So uh, we're looking forward to welcoming you back to Chicago, Andrew. Do you have any other kind of special plans or things you want to check off while you're here? Well, it's seeing lots of old friends um, and, um, you know, just uh, connecting with people in the running community, connecting with my former colleagues and connecting with friends in general. I even do a New Year's Eve dinner for a group of people I always had over for New Year's Eve in the past, except because I don't come to Chicago on New Year's, I will be making it the day after the marathon. So I will nice. have to still be in one piece uh, because I'm looking forward to a, like a four course, uh, very extravagant dinner uh, to celebrate. And awesome. also one other thing, I'll be meeting up with the uh, some of the members of uh, the Bright Forum, which is uh, a group of older marathons, 75, uh, marathoners, 75 plus. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we will have a little dinner afterward, well, a nice dinner afterwards. Uh, I think we're going to Piccolo Sogno. Uh, and um, I know we're going to it. Uh, but the, the main question for me is how many of them will actually place uh, and be placed in a situation of conflict with the awards uh, ceremony, which is from 6 to 8 p.m. from Abbott, which is exactly the time I picked much earlier for okay. our dinner. So we'll see. Um, anyway, but I'm, I'm very much looking forward to being back in Chicago. I enjoy the energy. I enjoy uh, the social connections It's uh, and just all the memories. And I'm a little bit intimidated by running the marathon, but I'm looking forward to doing it. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing how you finish and maybe I'll bump into you at the expo or on, on the course or, or anywhere else. And if a listener sees Andrew out there, make sure you say, Hey, and uh, make sure you check out his book, the Chicago marathon, which I think I picked up on Amazon, uh, university of Illinois press. It's a, a really good look into a lot of the different aspects of the marathon. It's not just, ju not just history and, um, Chicago names, but also just kind of, a, you know, what goes into the media, what goes into the race director's job and, and the marketing. So, uh, definitely learned a lot from that. So Andrew, I want to thank you again for your time and, uh, good luck on October 8th. Okay. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure and good luck to you. All right. Appreciate it. I'll see you after the marathon. Bye. <laughs> All right. Well, that was an awesome uh, appearance by, by Andrew. And uh, I've talked to so many different cool people here in this, this chase for the Chicago Marathon. It's really added a lot to my experience uh, as a first-time entrant for the Chicago Marathon. And I want to thank everyone who's is really taking the time. Um, one person I didn't mention at the beginning of the show was uh, Kofuzi, who is the, uh, the YouTube star who just keeps on adding followers. And I know he's going to have a, a big meet up here in Chicago and I know I want to do some sort of meet up here with CHGO marathon listeners and the people that I've uh, made friends with on Twitter and in our discord lounge uh, through CHGO. We're going to figure something out. I, we have to figure out quick cause there's, you know, it's 26 days away, but I'm sure we'll be able to figure out something. Um, quick training update. Like I feel like things are going really well for me right now. 
Um, 20 miler is coming up on Sunday uh, with Kara on the lakefront. And that starts at 6.30, so I'm looking forward to that. Just went through this last weekend. It was a, a, like just your routine 14-mile run, which I never thought I would say 14-mile run is is routine. But uh, that one felt good. This morning I got out for, for seven miles, and it was just it was just fine. So am I a little worried about getting sick? You know, I don't want to jinx myself, but it's like my kids are in school. Everyone's got these sniffles, and you hear, oh, maybe COVID's bringing up. So, like, at some point, I feel like, okay, maybe I'll have to avoid crowds. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to know how other people are approaching that. Um, but otherwise, my overall health is good. Like, nothing feels all that sore. I, th- I think I've just been kind of managing things correctly and uh, eating well and uh, can't really complain. So... I'm definitely looking forward to October 8th being here because it takes a lot of time, uh, <laughs> marathon training. I think that's like the one thing that would maybe discourage me from getting into this long term is just even, a, even if a 14 mile run is routine and you feel like you can do it, no problem. That's still two, two hours, two hours, 15 minutes out of my day being away from my family, uh, you know, not to say anything of the, the 18 or 20 mile runs. So I think that's the kind of part when you're, you get into marathon running, you don't really realize is you do need the support from, from your partner and, and your kids. And, and I mean, even here at CHGO, I know people probably hear like sick of hearing me talk about it, um, which is uh, kind of a weird thing, but maybe after your first one, it's just kind of just, you know, you probably do stop talking, talking about it and you certainly don't do a podcast about it, but Again, I've been having a lot of fun with this, and I appreciate everyone listening. So um, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Make sure uh, if you, you feel like donating to my run for Cal's Angels, just crossed, I think, $3,200. I'd like to get to 5000 I think that would be really cool. Uh, that's a pediatric cancer charity that's uh, been close to my family and helped uh, my, my uh, little cousin Ben out as, as they uh, go through a leukemia battle. So... It's uh, it's really been cool to get their name out there as well. So, Kevin, quick question here from the producer. Okay, uh, we got we got a question from Jake. So, Andrew mentioned like he started later in mm-hmm. life with with the marathon. Do you see this because you're so busy right now with work and personal uh, life stuff with with your family and everything else? Yeah. Do you see like you know accomplishing this goal this year? And then maybe circling back to this down the road when you have more free time it, when you are in your 50s or, or yeah 50s. i could see that I, I think like the wild card for me is like so i mean andrew didn't kind of touch on this but andrew's a smaller guy andrew is five foot two and he weighs like 120 pounds which is a lot easier to be a runner like that i'm six foot three right now i weigh like 226 227 I don't know if my knees and hips are going to like last that long. Right. So to, to me, it's like, I, I don't know if this could be like a really long-term thing. I certainly don't think I'm going to be doing it when I'm 77 years old. Um, but I mean, I know like I, I haven't really beat, beat up my knees and, and, and legs too much. So I think I do have like maybe another good 10 years of it, but I do just enjoy like the actual, um, getting into your own head, uh, part of it. And, and the one thing like Andrew mentioned to me when we were talking on the side last night is running is a, is such a great community thing. And the one thing I hadn't considered is he said, you really do not meet any run- runners who are not incredibly smart people. And I kind of thought about that and it is kind of true. Like you kind of have to be really methodical about this. You have to be comfortable with yourself 
you have to be um, just kind of have to like know about a lot of things. So I did think about that and thought about everyone that I've met so far. And it's, it is kind of true. So um, I do like that part of it. And I mean, I tell you like one thing, Jake, like I'm a little worried about like October 8th is going to come and then I'm going to be like, all right, I'm just going to take the next, you know, month off and that month will turn into three or four months because Chicago winter is going to be here and you're not going to want to run outside. So if you, if that happens, just look at me and say, okay, no, don't do that. (laughs) I got to get you out for, for the CHGO marathon next year. I I would gladly walk in something and and start, start a journey that way. But yeah, I'm going to be, we're all going to be rooting for you and proud that you're doing it. And it's, it's great to see everyone, you know, committed to this for the, for the Chicago marathon and Goose Island being a part of that. And Andrew and all the great guests you've had, like it's, it's definitely really cool to see, um, you know, that community to have a place to kind of, kind of share that. And there's been so many different types of people that I've talked to in so many different communities. I mean, he's a proud member of the LGBTQ community and he talked about what that means to them. And, and you know, it means a lot to people in the city, no matter who you are or where you're from. So, um, that's been cool. So, all right, we'll cut it here. Uh, we'll be back next week, uh, when our guest will be the guy who organizes the famous Pilsen stop, Uh, aid station so i'm looking forward to chopping that up with him Uh, but until then this has been the chgo marathon podcast presented by goose island i am kevin kadick and we'll see you at the starting line october 8th